Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast, the podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game. With me, Russell Guyver, and my co-host, Peter Marsh, as usual. Hello, Peter. Hey, Russ. Uh, we have two Andys with us of a bass and not variety. Yes, it never rains, it pours. We hardly had Andy for ages. Now, Andy not that is, and he's back uh, two episodes in a row, I think it is. Fantastic work. Uh, hello, guys. Hello, Andys. Hello. <laughs> And we have also a special guest with us rejoining. We did try to do all this last night, but due to my disastrous internet connections, we've had to reconvene. Um, so we have with us now Kieran Maguire back with us. Hello, Kieran. Evening, table toppers. How are we all? <laughs> we're all very well. You see, when we were going to do this yesterday, there was going to be four of us, and it was going to tie in even better with my intro I was going to do, which was we're like the, the Pod Musketeers, um, all 4-1 and 1-4 all. <laughs> I thought it fit in quite well. But now there's five of us. It still works well on the score front, doesn't it? Not too bad. I am broadcasting from a pub because uh, my internet's still down, so apologies for any background noise you might hear at my end. Um, and we are here to discuss, of course, the fantastic second uh, of two 4-1 wins that we've had. I think we're one of only a few clubs that have managed to start the season with two identical results of that sort before. Um, let's hope you carry on doing it this weekend against West Ham. But anyway, Kieran, you weren't at the game. Let's talk about that first. You were supposed to be, but um, unfortunately you weren't able to. There was a change of plan. Do you want to quickly tell us about that? I know you did off-air, but on-air as well. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was our 10th wedding anniversary. I, I planned a romantic trip to the Black Country with my wife. Um, but upon hearing of my plans, she put in a, a, a VAR late red card and uh, <laughs> uh, we ended up having to go to a hotel in Russell Square instead, which was uh, a lot more expensive and not as entertaining. <laughs> and don't, and, 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 and don't, and don't repeat this on that on our WhatsApp group. Andy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is she on the WhatsApp as well? Yeah, she can't yes. do that. Yes. The Baroness is not to be trifled with, so I hear. Um, yes, indeed. Um, and also, while we're on the subject of the Baroness, how's Finley as well? Talking of family matters at home. Uh, Finley the dog, the famous dog who interrupts all your price and football podcasts. He's, how's he doing? He, he's very chilled. Yes, a very relaxed dog. He, he might 
he might put in an appearance because of his ability to open doors but not close them uh, during the course of this recording. Magnificent. I saw his lovely picture of him on the sunset laden beach uh, on Twitter the other day. Fantastic stuff. Um, just give him a couple of wonky chops and he'll be fine. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, we'll, we'll come on to more matters, Kieran, related in a moment. But first of all, to, uh, to the Andes and to Peter, who were at the game, the Wolves match, let's talk about that first of all. Another 4 1 win, another win against Wolves. That's um, several we've had against them in recent years now, three in a row at least uh, on the current count. But we've gone one better. We scored four against them this time, albeit we did concede as well. Um, how was the game and how was the trip? Because I, I think it was quite a good atmosphere before the match as well, isn't it, with the fan zone and all that stuff. Andy, I know, Andy Bass, I know you were there. Uh, can we go to you first? How, how was your experience? Yeah, it was really good. Um, the, the, the travel took a bit, a little bit longer than I was expecting. It was a lot of hours on the coach. But, but yeah, the Wolves fan zone's pretty nice. Um, the Wolves fans are quite friendly. Quite friendly in there, quite happy to chat, and um, yeah, it's a nice, it's just a nice sort of thing. It's, it's not very good for for pubs around around the ground, so it's nice that they put on that area and that away fans are welcome. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was all very hospitable. But, but yeah, absolutely superb day out um, with just some, just I don't know. I think four contenders for goal of the season already. That was just like a competition on its own. I mean. Um, we couldn't believe what we were watching in the end. I mean, it was just sensational. Yeah, superb. And yeah, I mean, I'm not been to that fan zone. And every time we go to the the actual matches at Molyneux, we're always in the up in the gods. I've never been down that side area except when I randomly went to a Morecambe away game there in their first season in the in the league. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, the, the side bit looks better. Is that a better area to watch the game from? Would you say overall? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, you get a good view. Um, I was sort of near like the penultimate row at the back and uh, yeah, had a really, really excellent view. I was a bit nearer the centre than I normally am. We normally park down one of the down one of the um, ends, but but yeah, excellent. Yeah, so, so, so I like yeah, Molyneux's good ground. It's good atmosphere in there when when they get going and I like that um I like that they use um Kashmir by Led Zeppelin as their sort of <laughs> pre Jeff Beck intro music in deference to one of their uh, more famous supporters. Yeah. Speaking of music, I'm wondering if Kieran's going to slip in any uh, subliminal uh, Smith lyrics uh, into this <laughs> podcast, as you've known to do on a certain other site. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, so that's, that's a good experience you're around. Peter, I don't know if you met up with Andy in the end, but um, uh, you enjoyed yourself as well, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting what Andy said about pubs, because yeah, they're, they're literally the most unwelcoming place for pubs in the, of any ground I've been to. To the point where I ended up back at the Premier Inn at the ground, at the Premier Inn at the station, basically, afterwards. That's the only place I could find that let you let Brighton fans in, and there was a lot of away fans there. So um, I'm going to be a little bit controversial about the match. If we go, we, okay, to jump onto that. I actually didn't think, and I think it's been commented before as well by some, we didn't actually play that well, I thought. That second half, the first 10 minutes were exceptional and we destroyed them. I thought after that, we got a little bit complacent. And in the first half, if you, it's interesting watching match of the day back afterwards. All the chances they showed that weren't goals were Wolves chances. They didn't show any chances for us that weren't goals. And I'm not sure that quite reflected exactly what happened, but certainly they, we gave them a lot of chances. Um, considering they're frankly not very good and. Yeah, it showed that we love, we really do miss, I think, Casado in there. We had a 
we had we took our chances brilliantly. We were it was very anti sort of Potter performance, the opposite really. Not controlling the game as much as he as under Potter would have done, but taking our chances when we got them brilliantly. And I think as Andy said, it was four really well taken goals, really good goals. Hmm. Yeah. And Andy Knott, I don't know if you'd um, go along that as well. And what, what was your perspective on the match? Do you think yeah, it's um, um, Yeah. Sorry, go on. I'd, I'd go along with Pete. I mean, my overriding impression of the day actually was the opposite of what's normally said about going on a away trip with the Albion, which was it was a dreadful day, um, greatly improved by, by the football, actually. And, and it was a dreadful day for me because, um, very unusually, I decided to drive there, and it took forever. Um, uh, fortunately, I'd been loaded with information from and Bass about masala fries, and we managed to just fit in a portion of those before we went in, and had an absolutely cracking day at the football, actually. I, I went with my son, uh, who's just turned, well, he's 16, um, and he hasn't been to a away game for a few years. Um, but I, I, I think Pete was right. I think ultimately Wolves probably had the better of the first half. Um, we were in a great position and saw Metamis goal, which was just extraordinary. Um, what an amazing run. And he, he seemed to kind of continue his acceleration the further that he, um, well, the closer he got to the, um, their goal. Um, and the, um, the first 10 minutes of the second half, we were absolutely devastating. Um, that kind of counter-attacking football was brilliant. Um, Pete is quite right. It, it was a really very open game. Um, and I, I would agree with the kind of anti-Otter-esque, um, uh, uh, um, assessment of it. Where I was stood, um, uh, we had the added benefit of the um the well the Wolves fans or the loaded Wolves fans in the box, which was most entertaining. Um so at times I got a li- little bit distracted from the football. Um, <laughs> you won't be naughty, were you, Andy? Not me. That's <laughs> good to hear. You're Mr. Sensible of the games. Well, sort of. Yeah. Um, with the lineups, by the way, I mean, we've started with stealing goal. We had Milner, Webster, Duncan, Estebinian. So Webster coming back in there. Grosh and Gilmore as the starting, more defensively minded midfielders with then CISO ahead of that. March and Mitterberg on the white, on the wits and well back up front again. Um, and we've heard, by the way, that and CISO, we're hearing reports he may have a significant injury. We'll, uh, I mean, we'll just really talk about that as well. I think it came out of um, Paraguay's camp, didn't it? They were talking about, uh, they, they reported there might be an injury that might be keeping him out for quite a while. Uh, but hopefully it's nothing too serious, but it sounds like it might be. Uh, although we've got plenty of attacking talent up front. That's going to be a big blow, isn't it? Given that he, he looked pretty good in this game, from what I saw yeah, in the Yeah, brilliant. I mean, those two assists in the second half were superb. And yeah, I don't know what, who leaked it and who and why Paraguay are announcing this to the world as well. I mean, it's, mm. it's really unprofessional oh, and pretty unimpressive, to be honest, that they... If it, you know, it shouldn't be like they shouldn't be saying that. So I don't know what whether it's true or not, but it sounds like something's obviously happened in training. They should not be saying anything about it at all. I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, it's a bit odd, and um, you know, it's up to us to keep these things secret. Then say he'll be back in a couple of weeks, and he comes back a year and a half later. You know, that's the normal <laughs> Albion stuff, isn't it? 
Um, but anyway, that, so that was the lineup. Great, great performance, great goals. I mean, the, the miss of a goal was just stunning. Um, I, ironically, was down in Brighton that weekend meeting up with some friends. I was in buy some beer, and um, just as the second half had started, and saw these goals bouncing in on my phone or reports of the goals, and thought, "What the hell's going on here?" And um, then I, I saw the uh, Mitima, clip of the Mitima goal, and what a what a goal that was! But I mean, as you said earlier on, the um, all four of them are potential contenders for goal of the season, aren't they? And what a start to the season in general. Um, any other takes from the from the match in general before we move on? So any other details uh, related to it? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, that was the I'll go. off, wasn't there? Yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'll go. I mean, um, while we're on in Ciso, especially the ball for the first goal that he put in for Solly with the outside of his foot was absolutely stunning. And I, I do want to um, also kind of un, un-Potter-esque. Solly's finishing was absolutely brilliant as well. I thought two very different finishes. Uh, he yeah. kind of blasted the. The, you know, both from very close range, but he blasted the first one. But for the second one, he opened up his body and kind of um, caressed it in on the inside of the post. Purvis um, got a goal uh, and was absolutely brilliant um, again. Uh, and uh, Gilmore was my man of the match. Um, that seems to be the general consensus, doesn't it? That he had an outstanding game. I think he did well when he came on in the um, uh, well, well, in general for that, for that match. I think he came on in fits and starts. I think when he's first coming back into the equation, he's now fully up and running, isn't he? I think he, all of the issues he had from last season are well, well gone. And it seems to me that he's going to be one of the stories of the year, stories of the season, really, isn't he? I think he's just got, uh, he's got all the talent and all the ability. He's now looking like he's getting his head back together after those issues he had to deal with. Um, and he's he's looking like the man. And I think somebody, was it actually Deserby himself? Someone said um, during pre-season that they were expecting big things from him. I can't remember if it was Roberto or whether it was one of the players. But uh, clearly that's in very early days, but it's looking like that and that might be the case. And you're right about Solly's goals as well. Brilliantly well taken. Caressing the ball into the net is a good way of, of describing it. And that was one of the missing ingredient, wasn't it? The, the final balls, the final balls into the box or the final shots were his issue before. He started to sort that out towards the end of last season with, was it 8-12? And he's now got three and two games to start this year. Fantastic story there as well. Continues, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, Andy, Andy B. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to sort of dive in a little bit on the sort of first half performance. Uh, which, which, yeah, I mean, the game, the game was open and, and Wolves create some chances that they very much reminded me of watching us a couple of years ago where they'd be playing a where we'd be playing like a so-called big team and do quite well but just don't take our chances and then we get punished for it but I thought in the first half we actually did create quite a lot of good opportunities that we that we that we wasted actually um, quite often we would get into the penalty box and slide the ball across but there wouldn't be anybody on the end of it and I hmm. I can imagine that very much made part of the half-time team talk from Deserby because the manner in which we scored the three goals in the dynamic 10-minute period was a complete correction of that. We got the ball, we still got the ball, we got the ball into the box, but we got people on the end of it. Um, hmm. And, you know, I think in addition to his goal, Mittimer's cut back for Purvis for the second goal was equally exquisite. Um, and yeah, I mean, 
everything that's just been said about the March goal. I mean, the pass from Gilmore to Enciso for the third goal, just just crazy good. I mean, that, that was just that was just very much like watching us a few years ago, maybe against you know a, a Liverpool or something when we weren't winning or Man City and. But you think, oh, well, we played quite well, but they just had the extra quality. And that's basically what we looked like, one of those better teams that just had that extra quality um, that, that, meant we were, that meant we were going to win and not, you know, and not, and not drop some points. And uh, I think we're, we're slowly beginning to be one of those teams now, even if the performance would say, I would say probably about 70% of, of as good as we can get. I think we can play a lot better than that. I think the players know that. I think Tiserbi certainly knows that. But it was good enough to win this game and win it in a convincing fashion. I mean, you know, we're gonna, we, you know, we're gonna have to get better as the season goes on. But it's a pretty good starting point. Yeah. Well, it's funny with the points you just made. Actually, ties in with what Solly March said post-match. There was a quote which says, "If you were in the right positions, you were going to get chances." Both my goals came from busting a gut. And so if I keep doing that, I'll get more goals. And he also went on to say, we've got two or three players in every position. Maybe we didn't have that last year, and that can help us kick on this year. If we keep our foot on the pedal and believing, we'll hopefully have a great season again. Well, Kieran, bringing you back in then on that one. Um, I mean, first of all, we haven't had you on for a fair few weeks. So um, your thoughts on the end of the season and how you see this season going forward and what do you think we need to do in terms of do we need more, more people in? And how have you been satisfied with the season so far, albeit in its infancy at the moment? In terms of the end of last season, it was a bit of a damp squib in, in certain aspects. You know, we, we we lost our last away game. We we drew our last home game. We got an absolute pasting at St. James's Park, and I was up there that night, even though I felt that we were a decent team. So um it was it was it was great, you know, to, to get into Europe. Um I, I thought that the match at home to Manchester City was the most joyous match I can recall of our Premier League. I was going to say, that's, that's, not a, that's not a damp squib, that bit, was it? <laughs> no, I mean, in, in terms of having two two sides, both of whom knew exactly where they were, and they just they just wanted to put on a show. They just wanted to enter, entertain the audience. To score the goal of the season was very much the, the, the icing on the cake there. Um, I... As, as far as the activities over the course of the summer are concerned, I've got so m- much faith in Tony Bloom and Paul Barber that whatever they do, and, and we could all, re- all, we- all remember, we'd make a signing and there'd be a there'd be a pitchfork mob immediately forming on on North Stand chat. I've seen him; <laughs> he's rubbish. Um, you know, somebody's seen a, somebody. Somebody knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody back in such and such a country who says we we've been taken for a ride, and there would be a collective, not nervous breakdown, but a sense of uncertainty. And of course, some of the signings that we made historically perhaps reinforce that. But um, we, we've got an owner who says believe in the process. We've had two managers. In, in Graham Potter and now Rob, Roberto Di Zerbi, who again believe in the process. And the fact that what I really like about the Albion is that they, rec- the club recruits the squad and the coach's job is to coach that squad, not to mould the squad into 
whatever the, the whatever, whatever their particular brand of football is, the coach has got to fit Brighton rather than Brighton players have got to fit the coach. So I think that philosophy is really good uh, going forward. As for the start of the season, yeah, two four one victories. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it'll do. <laughs> I mean, okay. the fact we're not playing at our best, and okay, yeah, it's not the toughest opposition we could have had, but the fact we're not playing at our best, we've had two four ones to start the season, and as you alluded to earlier, we're top of the league. It's yeah. fantastic, isn't it? I mean, that, that bodes well. If we're going to improve, as, as Andy Bees said, he thinks we will do, and I do as well, that we're maybe 70% on performance levels now, that bodes well as well, doesn't it? And the best bit is with five points ahead of Chelsea. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was absolutely essential to, to get a good start to the season. I, I know people in football, and I, I know some people at Burnley, and, and you may recall a few seasons ago, they finished seventh in the in the Premier League and, and they qualified for Europe. And they had a dreadful start to the season. And then they, they picked up and they avoided relegation in the end. But talking to their people, they said, if you've got a limited size of squad and you've got limited resources, what do you do? And this is what Sean Dyche would do. You play a match at the weekend, you get Monday, perhaps you've got Monday off, and then you come in and then the rest of the week, it's all about the drills. It's all about the routines geared towards the following weekend's match. And if you've got a match taking place on a Thursday, that's disrupted. And the, the results were were negatively impacted by that. So so when I saw the fixtures for the start of this season, uh, my reaction was, don't want to get arrogant about this, but there were six points there. And if if we'd got four, I'd have been happy. If we'd have got three, I'd have been happy. Six was the stretch objective, and we achieved that, and we achieved that in style. Um, And... I'm I'm still as an Albion fan. I'm still banking towards 38 points this season, and then we then we take lift off. Yeah, but really. Me and my dad were discussing on the way home. Keep seeing if you don't notice um, Europe or whatever sort of thing. What what impact it will have? Six hard battles, six for the way to third to safety sort of thing. It's like just mentally, it's just kind of like I don't think we'll go down. I think the last two games have shown we won't, but. It's still like the mental in in your mind. It's still the most first thing, first target to hit. I think. I, I think this could be the the weakest Premier League in our seven seasons in the league. Looking at uh, some uh, of the opposition, maybe the first one or two, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's so really look, interesting. Look, look at the bottom I, half of the division. Yeah, that's that's where you know, we're, yeah, we're naturally pessimistic as football fans. Football is not about joy; it's about misery. And um, <laughs> but, yeah, when I look at some of those sides, I go, "Well, okay, I, th- I think we we can." certainly claim to be better in terms of the quality of, of our play and players. Hmm. Yeah, I think there's some teams that might struggle. I think Palace have gone a bit static. They won't go down, but they possibly could be bottom half this year. Fulham might struggle. We thought that about Wolves, and um, maybe maybe not so much now. Um, but I think there's, there's, the teams that have come up are always going to have a hard time of it. And there's three or four other teams there. Everton really don't seem to have stepped on under... Sean Dyche, I know they've got a, a lot of problems going on at Everton, but um, you'd think he would have had slightly more of an effect than he has done so far. They really did only just get over the line, didn't they, in the end last season? And I'm wondering, they've not started well this year. So the bottom end, I think, yeah, it's going to be quite poor. The top end, it's hard to say so far. It really depends how much Chelsea 
if the spendthrifts can step on and how much um, Tottingham Hotspuds can do. There is, by the way, there is a, um, a potato shop in White Hart Lane called Tottenham Hotspuds. Like, it's a brilliant name, just to mention that one. It's not while I'm on the subject. Anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think I, I agree with you, Kieran. I think we are where we are at the moment. We can step on as well. Um, in terms of the transfers, we've we had a lot of talk, actually. Peter's the man to be completely up to date with all the details. We've been linked with Baleba. We've been linked with Diaz. He sounds a good option. We've been linked with Valentin Barso or Barco. Um, and obviously Kudus before, but it sounds like he's going to West Ham. But then there might be a twist well, of the tail there Saudi as well. Now, yeah, apparently seems he's to be the more possibly likely. Saudi. And possibly Mohamed Salah might be going to Saudi as well while we're on the subject. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it's... It's obviously there's so much stuff is still intransigent, and who knows what we'll get when the end of the, the window comes. But what would you like, Kieran? Is it the typical thing of saying, well, defensive midfielder because the succession plan has been stalled a bit by Casino going a bit earlier than we'd like, and we haven't got any one ready made yet. So is it a defensive midfielder and then a fullback? Are you thinking on those lines as most people are? I'm completely relaxed because what we have seen um, under both of the last two matches is is a willingness and an ability to chop and change places. I, I never thought that Pascal Gross would be a right back. I never thought that Moises Caicedo would play at a right back, but they both have managed to do that. And we, we looked none the weaker for it. Um, I, I think the, what we do see with the Albion is, is that they have a hive mind and perhaps this, this obsession we have with individual positions is, it might be an issue at other levels of football, but in terms of potter ball and deserby ball, it, 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 it's not an issue. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm, I'm really relaxed about how it is. I think I think we will get one or two people in, and I think it would be better if we do. But I think it's the, the outscoring element, isn't there, as well? I think there's such a bravado to the way we play. I think we'll get we'll come unstuck if we don't strengthen enough, particularly against certain teams. Maybe we'll struggle against the bigger sides. A bit more if we don't have a Casado equivalent in there or, or a bit more strength and depth in defence in general. But I do think we'll still outscore teams as we, as we've seen. We, we're ruthless. If we if you give us a chance, as Gary O'Neill said in his post match, um, we're ruthless and we will, we will punch teams. Um, anyway, any, any other thoughts on the Wolves game? Any men of the match, um, selections or any other thoughts, uh, I, experiences from the game? I'd agree with Andy. I think, uh, I think Gilmore certainly was, was really, really good. I tell you, it was really good to see Lalana come on as well. He, we were at a stage where we were a bit frenetic at that point, and I think he came on to calm it down and did a really good job of holding possession and keeping the ball, which we hadn't done for the ten fifteen minutes before that. Wolves actually had some, you know, had looked quite threatening at four one, and if they'd got another goal quite quickly, we we might they might we might have been a bit under the cosh, but once we weathered that bit of storm. We were pretty comfortable once Solana came on. And, yeah, it was good to see him because he hasn't been played since January, I don't think so. Yeah. 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 I, think, I think that period of the game um, would be the one that annoyed Deserby the most because he's big on the mentality and focus. And I think I think of... We kind of went 4-0 up too early, uh, if you could do such a thing, in that I think we did get a little bit... I mean, you know... That we did get a little bit complacent. We didn't, we didn't um, maintain possession that well in that period. Uh, and then the, when when the Lana came on, it was like the manager was thought, right, okay, I'm going to go out there and play myself now. 
uh, and he was like the manager's representative on the pitch, and he just literally calmed it straight down, uh, almost instantly. And then, and then we went on and had a lovely little bit of um, possession towards the, you know, the last ten minutes of the game, where we basically just kept the, the ball ninety percent of the time. And we're all singing, "We want our ball back," when we occasionally <laughs> lost it. Um, and, and and yeah, so I think it was instructional for the team. Obviously, you know, it was a comfortable win in the end, but. It did expose some minor flaws, and we're not, you know, having a go at the team here. It's just like now our expectations have been raised. We're looking at the top six finish now. I think that's definitely a bona fide aspiration um, for this team, whether we'll make it or not. I don't know. But if you do, then those are areas you have to tighten up, and we can't get carried away with it. We've still got to put the work in, and um, I think the team keep giving. Deserve the, the excuse for him to keep dri- driving at them during training, and and the, and the players buy it. You know they're not moaning about it. They they're thinking, okay, yeah, you know what, the, he's he's got a point, and it turns out we do quite well when we listen to the manager. So um, we'll continue to do so. And uh, but yeah, it was it was it was just a really nice game. It was just surreal. It was like watching an Albion game in reverse. Um, you know, where we've been the plucky sort of underdog putting up a reasonable showing against a juggernaut that was just too good in the end. And that's kind of how it played out. It was really, yeah. it was really weird to watch. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was very good. And, uh, you know, and if any, you know, Wolves fans won't be listening to this, but, you know, I think <laughs> if, if they can, you know, they keep creating chances like that. They just got shoot straight and then they might they might do a bit better we're just so much more potent aren't we and I mean we're almost it's almost almost getting boring hearing how much praise we're getting all the time from all oh, the media every one of the all of the podcasts match of the day I mean Shearer can't stop heaping praise on us Kenny now as well um, I've noticed and just all in sundry really and in fact it's on that subject I'm going to turn to a couple of questions we've got from not so much listeners, actually, as contributors who aren't with us tonight, um, for Kieran. So, Alan, who's a regular on the podcast but couldn't be on tonight, has sent in a question for you, Kieran. He said, can you ask Kieran if he is relentlessly sending Kevin Day all the YouTube clips of journalists and pundits saying how wonderful the Albion are? <laughs> I know you keep it quiet on air, but are you, are you gently needling him? I, I like to think you are. No, I, I think if you are working with a stand-up comedian, there's only going to be one winner when it comes to heckling. So it actually frustrates him more that I say as little yes. as I can. Um, he he is convinced that Tony Bloom has hacked the fixture computer as well mm-hmm. to give us an easy start to the season. Um, and uh, yes, I heard him say that. Yeah, he, he's saying, well, if it, nobody else would have that 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 that's easier walkway. Um, no, but off air, he's he acknowledges that uh, we've we've made we've made some excellent decision making, and, and as as I always sort of say from from my point of view as a as a teacher, which ultimately that's that's my job. If you look at a business and its success, you, you focus on three things: resources, opportunities, and decision making. We've got less resources than the majority of clubs in the in the Premier League. We've got less opportunities historically because we've not been in Europe. So the, the additional 
uh, benefits that that brings. We we don't have the the opportunities of the history and the heritage of clubs like Manchester United and Liverpool and building an international fan base. Um, so therefore, the only way that we can punch above our weight is is down to the quality of the decision making. And, and I go back to what I said. What I sort of hinted at earlier in Tony Bloom and and Paul Barber. You've got two people of whom you've got utmost faith in. Um, you know, people say, what's what's the most valuable thing in football? Is it Lionel Messi's right foot? Is it the, is it the the roar of uh, the uh, the the cop or whatever? It's it's Tony Bloom's laptop. That is for me the most valuable point, and you know, I, I, may may it always go with him. As far as yeah, I'm and the, the beauty is that's the one thing Chelsea can't buy. Well, I don't think they can anyway. I sincerely hope not. Um, no. On the subject of Chelsea, I mean, it's been mentioned before, and if people listen to the price of football, they'll already know this. But just for the benefit of anyone that doesn't, shame on you. Um, Kieran, could you just quickly go over why Chelsea can afford this? Because ultimately, it's to do with amortisation, spreading the cost over longer periods, and being able to sell, sell from the academy and reap rewards that way, isn't it? So in the long to medium term, they can get away with it. Is that, broadly speaking, what we're talking about here? Um, Ch- Chelsea have got issues coming their way. But we don't know the exact extent of their finances at present. If you sign a player and you put him on a long-term contract, that reduces the annual cost. So if we take the case of Moises Caicedo, from what we've heard, that there's a guaranteed fee of £100 million plus £15 million of add-ons. So you start off with a guaranteed fee and you, you spread that over the eight years through this process called amortisation. So the cost going through Chelsea's books is £12.5 million a year. Um, they sold Mason Mount, who came from their academy, for fifty-five million to Manchester United. And the way that that works is that when you sell a player, all of the profit goes into the books. So they've got a cost of twelve and a half, and they've got income coming in of fifty-five. So they're actually up. And, and what they've therefore allowed, allowed them to do is to sign effectively on the sale of Mason Mount. That's funded probably for for acquisitions. The downside of their approach is what happens if, for for whatever reason, the player doesn't work out. So we take the case of Romelu Lukaku. He's on 300 grand a year, sorry, 300 grand a week, 15, 16 million pounds a year, and he signed a five-year contract. So you've got 15 million pounds for five years to pay. That's not great. Can you imagine if that's eight or nine years? And, And the problems that you've got, because the player won't leave, under normal circumstances, that's in a pre-Saudi Pro League environment because nobody else was prepared to match the wages being paid by Chelsea. And that's why they've still got Lukaku on the books because nobody wants to take him on under those circumstances. So it's a, it's a very, very high-risk strategy. I know there's some really smart people out there, if, if anybody follows, a guy called Kieran O'Connor, known as the Swiss Ramble. He's, yeah. he's put out some numbers um, in the last 48 hours. He thinks that they're going to struggle I'm a little bit more relaxed because I, I think their wage bill is, is going to drop more than people and more than people anticipate because the, the, the European bonuses won't kick in. They've got rid of their, their two, two main executives who earned 50 million pounds between them last, last season. Um, and so on. But, um, I, I think they're going to, they're going to have to do a bit of, uh, focusing on the outdoor rather than the indoor. Yeah. Uh, you, 
unbelievable. There's two football finance experts called Kieran. <laughs> I, I did know this already, actually. I, I finally heard learned his name the other day. I thought, I can't believe this. <laughs> what, and, what a great and we, name. And we used to go to the same gigs as well at uh, <laughs> at the top rank in the in the late seventies. Ah, oh, so what's his background? Because he, you've you've been talking about trying to get him on the price of football, and I don't think he's uh, he's a reticent, isn't he, to say the least. Yeah, he's uh, he's a fund manager. He's he's an accountant. He's he's a he's a very very smart guy. Speaks four languages. Um, moved to Zurich. I think his his wife's from Switzerland, and he he was part of the reason why I started to get involved in in this lunacy, um, because he he used to do a blog and then he stopped doing the blog. So I started filling in that particular gap. Um, his his analysis is superb. Uh, his musical taste is even better. So I've, I've got nothing but admiration for him. What are we talking here? Joy Division, Smiths and Dead Presidents, all the other ones you've mentioned, I presume, that kind of stuff. That's right. Yeah, he's uh, <laughs> he's, he's indie dead. <laughs> Marvellous stuff. You mentioned earlier as well, Kieran, the um, the Saudi league. Now, now, Andy Bravery, another of our contributors on the pod, again, couldn't be here tonight, but he's... Um, He's mentioned uh, a question he'd like to say. He said, sorry on holiday. I would have liked to have talked to Kieran and get his views on the Saudi money. And is this just another China or is it part of a bigger move to a global league or at least a Saudi and Euro league? Uh, which I think is a good question. It's, I, th- I think I know where the answer goes on this one. But, yeah, would you, would you be able to answer a little bit on that? Yeah, what, what we saw in time in terms of the, the, the Chinese Super League in, what was it, 2018, was a significant investment in players. And I think during one window, the Saudi, the, the Chinese Super League spent more money than any of the leagues in Europe. So that was quite significant. Then the, the Chinese Communist Party felt that that was too much like conspicuous consumption and, and not in alignment with the, the philosophy of the, uh, of, of the country. So the enthusiasm very quickly dried up. I don't see that happening with the Saudi Pro League. Mohammed bin Salman has his 2030 vision. He's got a young population. He's got a population that are, you know, well, we, we need to be entertained. So what, what better way of being entertained than bringing the world's best footballers to Riyadh and, and making a statement? He's, all, he's already shown that he can effectively disrupt and take control and influence of golf. Football is just the same with a couple of extra zeros thrown at the end, but he's got the zeros. So we we will see some changes. I think in terms of integration with European football, there might be some form of super cup between the club, between uh, sort of uh, the Asian, uh, the, yeah, the AFC uh, countries um, and Europe. But I don't see um, I, I don't see the clubs in Europe being willing to allow Saudi Pro League teams into the UEFA Champions League, because if that is to be the place, then they'd have to comply with financial fair play, which would cause issues because the clubs in Saudi are losing huge amounts of money. Um, And B, why vote for somebody to take your trophies away? Because they they could afford, you know, um, if if, if they're going to be given a wild card and they don't have to comply with uh, financial fair play, there's nothing to stop them from recruiting the 20 best players in the world. They've already got Ronaldo, Neymar, Benzema, Mo Salah could be going there um, uh, and so on. So the the level of competitiveness when you've got one institution owning four clubs, as as we have in the case of the PIF, does call into question 
what we like in in terms of uncertainty and, and that belief in competitive balance, it, even even when the Albion weren't that great, uh, you know, at times uh, during our period in the Premier League, and we, we were up against Chelsea at home, and you know, I, I remember a couple of occasions when when the match was over within ten minutes, but at least when they walked on the pitch, we still felt we had a chance. Um, I, I don't think that will necessarily be the case uh, as far as the Saudi Pro League is concerned. But I'm, I'm not sure that the, that the fans actually care about that. Mm. No, that's it. It's a healthy league already. It's the best league in that continent. Um, mm. They do have a history with football, unlike certain nations, <clears throat> Qatar. Um, but yeah, it, it's got legs for me, I think. And they've got unlimited funds, well, more or less unlimited. And they are looking to move into other areas, aren't they? They've realised there's limitations to the future with oil. And they're looking at, at developing tourism, uh, ultimately, and another brand on a global scale, which, of course, is this uh, the Saudi League. Yeah. I know you've got to go shortly, Kieran, before we go to a break. A couple of very quick questions. Um, Colour blindness and football. You've, you've mentioned it on other podcasts. You have uh, this yourself. You suffer from it. Tell us about that and what, what an effect that has as a football-going supporter. And what, what well, should we be doing as well? <laughs> Well, colour blindness is is an issue because what what we are seeing increasingly from the kit manufacturers is a, a desire to move into the casual market to to make football leisure wear, and therefore that they're using a more varied palette. Um, for people not familiar with colour blindness, it, it's it's the way the way to think of it is is grayscale. So I, I can tell black from white. I can tell yellow from blue. I can't tell green from red. I, I put up some, uh, I put up some, up some charts on social media a few days ago, and and this wasn't me trying to go. Hey, look, I'm colorblind. I can't tell the colors. It was it was genuine. I can't tell the difference between red and green. I don't know what brown is. Um, I've got no idea. I don't, yeah, my wife sometimes says, "Oh, I, you know, I like, oh, that's good. It's purple." I go, well, "I don't actually know what purple is." Um, so, if you've got a, cl- a team playing in red and another pl- team playing in green. And they're both wearing shorts, which are the same color, or they're both wearing white shorts. I, I struggle. If you've got um, even sort of white versus yellow, I, I will struggle because they are both, to me, at the bottom end. Um, and people say, "Well, isn't that a problem when when you're driving a car?" You know, let, let, let's let, let's let's not worry about you know the trivia of football. For me, the red on a traffic light is a dark color, and for me, and I see the green as white. Or just just slightly more than white because it's a very light color. Um, this this means that for the one in eight men that have color color deficiency, watching football becomes quite difficult and, and less enjoyable. And okay, that's less enjoyable. I, I still go and watch the Albion regardless. Yeah, it gets the Albion. Um, imagine that you're a professional footballer, and you you have to go and take one tenth of a second longer each time when you're Liverpool and you're playing a team in green. That impacts upon your ability to do your job. So if we take a look at sports such as the NFL, the away team always play in white. So you you can always distinguish uh, the clubs, but there doesn't seem to be that desire when it comes to um, football. I I think when when the Albion played one of their pre-season friendlies, I think they were wearing the new green and black kit, and, and I I was struggling. And, and yeah, okay, it's preseason friendly. It does affect an awful lot of men. It only affects one in two hundred women because of the way that, that our, our, we've got uh, different chromosomes. But it's a very avoidable issue, 
Um, I, I work with sort of color blindness awareness that they talk on a regular basis. The EFL and the Premier League both have guidance, but nobody's at the clubs appears to give a hoot about that guidance, which which is a shame. You, know, you want to go to a match, and I, I can recognise Pascal Gross because he'll do his turn. So I go, well, that man that's just done that, just done a Cruyff. I know that I know that's Pascal, but at times it is a challenge. Yeah, agreed. And yeah, it's not not enough of accommodation. If it's a one in eight issue in the male population, that's uh, that is pretty significant, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Speaking of accommodating uh, on kits, women's kits, the goalkeepers' kit. Unfortunately, the women did lost the World Cup final, but they they're up against a better team, to be honest with you, uh, who are in determined mood to make a point. I think as well after shenanigans going on over there. Um, but Mary Queen of Stops, as she's called, apparently Mary Earps, um, her goalkeeping kit wasn't available to buy. For all of the aspiring girls growing up, looking at her as a hero, wanting to be a goalkeeper, a friend of mine had um, a daughter, I don't think she's playing it now, but she was playing as a goalkeeper as well. There's plenty of people out there would, would would be looking up to her, wanting to wear the kit. Nike weren't providing it. Funnily enough, this very day, Thursday, we're recording, um, they have actually put out a statement now saying they are going to release a limited number of kits in, I think it's the US, France, Netherlands, and here. Um, so that at least some kits can be available, but limited numbers. And it's an afterthought reactionary thing, isn't it? Not good enough, really. It was all about some um, economics, though, I think, isn't it? Because I think you were talking about this on the price of football as well, actually, weren't you? That's right. All, all decisions are made with the bottom line in, in, yeah. in, in mind. If, if we take a look at the Albion, yeah, you could not buy an Albion home kit from around about December. You could not buy an away kit from probably mid-January stroke February. And people are saying, well, why don't Nike restock? And the reason for that is that we are not a tier one club as far as right. Nike is concerned. The tier one clubs are the likes of Liverpool and Chelsea um, and you know, uh, PSG and so on. Um, and, and therefore, we, we have to accept where we are as far as the pecking order of football is concerned. We, we, the Albion lost... You know, tens of thousands, if not more, um, in terms of money last year, the, the opportunities to, to sell more merchandise. Clearly, the the uh, the arrival of Matoma Mania uh, meant that we were getting international fans coming to the Amex in, in a greater number than before, and we were unable to meet that demand. Um, already, as if if you go onto the, the website, you, you can't buy the away kit unless you're, you're double, 2XL or higher. Now, is that going to be restocked before Christmas? I was talking to to somebody who works for one of the major manufacturers and asking him about this, and he was saying, "Well, you've just got to accept that you're not that important to Nike. You know, if uh, if Liverpool want something, they click their fingers. Nike are desperate to retain the uh, the uh, Liverpool contract, and therefore they will do that. Would they like to retain the Brighton contract? Yes, but it it, it would be a blip if they didn't. Um, so." Uh, the, the provision of kits is is a challenge. They they made a commercial decision with regards to, to Mary Earps. I've just done something for BBC Sport on this um, bit before we recorded this show. Um, and from their point of view, before a tournament takes place, they, they will simply crunch the numbers. Expected level of demand. They know the margins from their point of view. It, it, it wasn't a decision. They've, they've made the right decision eventually, uh, but they've They've been made to make the right decision by the very articulate and passionate explanation by Maria. And remember, she she raised the issue over 12 months ago 
And she was effectively patronized and ignored by yeah. Nike. And she's made them look very foolish with her magnificent efforts during the competition. Yeah. Commiserations to the women, of course. And uh, it was a fine effort, a final, which is great. They're going to have a statue put up anyway, which was decided before that tournament because of their Euro win, which is superb. Yeah. So congratulations around to, to them on their performances. Um, great stuff. So before you go, Karen, any other questions from the Andes or from Peter? No, I think we're quite happy to let Kieran get on with the rest of his evening now. Yes, I just need to very quickly ask him something off air when we when we break for half time. Uh, but apart from that, as far as on air goes, thank you, Kieran, for joining us. It's been excellent as always, and uh, let's hope we're celebrating some more wins like the the first two of the season. Absolutely, thanks for the invite, chaps. Cheers, Kieran. Cheers. Cheers. And so we're back to part two. Thank you again to Kerry Maguire for joining us. Also, thank you to Andy Knott, who's had to drop out. He's got to do his cooking now. Um, so it's left with Andy Bass, Peter and I, to discuss in further detail some of the de- some of the things from the weekend and also uh, any other business, plus looking ahead to the West Ham game. Just reflecting back on the Wolves game, we were just talking off air, a couple of bits there, refereeing lots of yellow cards. We had six yellows, Milner, Webster, Estupinian, Grosch, Enciso and... Joao Pedro all got booked um, and we, there was a debate about whether Webster may actually have got two yellows or could have got two yellows um, they're definitely very whistle happy it's all part of a new thing isn't it with the, with, with the officials clamping down on imaginary yellow cards being waved or red cards um, time wasting of various sorts now I've watched a lot of games up and down in terms of highlights up and down the country over the last couple of weeks and there does seem to be a lot of very zealous um, awarding of yellow cards some of which are fine, some aren't. I thought, for example, in the Arsenal Palace game, the two yellows for Tommy Yasu were ridiculous. I don't think yeah. either of them were bookings, let alone um, collectively to get him sent off and then miss another match as a result of. First of all, the time key, the time wasting. Um, Havertz should be booked of anybody. He hung onto the ball for ages. Eventually gave it to Tommy Yasu, and he took what I would still consider a reasonable amount of time to take the throw in. Got booked, and then for just slightly touching someone's back not realising he didn't want to pull him, didn't pull him. The guy had already felt the touch on his back, so he went over uh, very elaborately. Not Palace players ever do that. And um, he was off, so that seemed harsh. In terms of the Albion game, though, and, and any other comments, really, from people around the country, what do you guys think of that? I mean, uh, Peter, let's go back to you first. Yeah, I think the consistency needs to be picked up. So I was using the example of the England game at the weekend where the Spanish player near the end quite clearly lobbed it over the, the hoardings when it clearly had gone out of play and the referee didn't give her any punishment whatsoever and just waved a finger a little bit at her. Should have been 100%. a second yellow. Yeah. Uh, Grosh taps it against the advertising hoardings for us and CISO passes it back to their player, basically, because the keeper looked like he was coming out to get it. Both of them get booked. It's like, yeah, it's the inconsistency that's the problem. And the issue is that one week we're going to get someone like him and the next week we might be 1-0 down at home. We'll get somebody who just let someone get away with it as well, which is what we've had before with like Villa and Fulham and teams like that. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm yet to be convinced. I thought the reverie was pretty poor, to be honest. Not either way, particularly just generally pretty poor. Um, he, he just seemed to very much like the sound of his whistle and just that's all he wanted to focus on. Didn't actually let the game flow that much, particularly... And it, yeah, he, it, it, it got better as the game went on, but it still wasn't particularly great. And yeah, it wasn't biased either way, but he was just, I just yeah. thought, poor. 
And, and Andy, I mean, this, this is what we've been calling out for, isn't it, for years, is consistency. That's what we want. We want ri- not ridiculous rules, obviously. We want to have the rules applied properly, the laws applied properly. But we want consistency. And uh, there is going to be so much fluctuation here, isn't there? And so many petty one-match bans through a queue or two-match bans through the crews and yellows as the season wears on. Uh, how are you feeling about it all? I think it's going to be really irritating at the beginning of the season because I think there's going to be a lot of these yellow cards. I, I actually thought, yeah, the aim of it is is to stop egregious time wasting and um, and the like. And I, and I mean, I'm all in, I'm in favour of that. And we're just going to have to go through some growing pains as um, the players finally get the message to stop faffing around and get on and play play the game. I thought the gross. One under the new rules was clear booking. Um, yeah. I thought it was a, an idiotic thing for him to do so early in the game. Um, but, um, and to be honest, after 10 minutes, I thought there's no way we're going to end up with 11 players left at the end. We're going to have to like sub everybody out. It's, um, I thought, yeah, you know, we might have to get creative about him. And as it turned out, um, we ended up with like a contender for one of the funniest red cards of the season <laughs> with um I said Matthias Nunes um just hilarious oh, yes. hilariously <laughs> getting himself sent off who he, he, he in, must... in a game that's dead right near the end of the match. We haven't mentioned this yet, have I we? Mean, uh, it was completely unnecessary. It was a joyously comic moment of, <laughs> of frustration that was you know I'm still smiling about it now. I rewatched watched the highlights earlier again. I just keep watching that sending off. It's just so hilarious. But yeah, I mean, players are going to have to get used to it. I agree with you about the Tomiyasu sending off because I don't think he should have got the, the second yellow card. I don't think that was a yellow card. He barely brushed him and I just dived, basically, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think I think the yellow for the time-wasting, it wasn't necessarily a... a, a him that was being punished. It was Arsenal taking collectively taking too much time over that over that, and he just happened to be holding the ball at the time. The referee had had enough. Yeah. And um, well, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? Yes, yeah. I mean, I mean, I and I, yeah. and to be honest, I think if you're going to start having players being sent off for that kind of reason, I think there is a problem there because I think the punishment. Is more, you know, overmatches the crime completely. I do, I do think we're time wasting. If you add the time at the end, you negate it. Um, mm. I mean, obviously, you don't get away. You don't get away. You don't stop the disruptive nature of the time wasting, which, which you know, I would say like Aston Villa and Fulham are masters of just using that, using those tactics to disrupt the game. But you at least still get the time at the end of the game, but. Um, I think we, will, as the season goes on, I think players will modify their behaviour because of this, and we are going to see players missing games for exceedingly trivial reasons. And I just, I just think it's you know that those are the only tools available to officials at the moment. We don't have like a sim bin type um, arrangement where you can have like a media sending, which you know you, you don't lose a player. For the, for the whole game, but you, so maybe there's a balance to, to be struck there later with the law. Yeah. I think so, but but yeah, I mean, in the in the end, we kind of got the message. I, I I thought the gross one was 
was was a booking. I thought the Jao Pedro one that was just like again just egregiously dumb play on his behalf. I think there's an element of taking one for the team, perhaps. But you do put yourself at risk then of picking up another yellow card for you know a completely marginal, and it creates a problem for managers. You're doing more. Hang on, that player. You know, am I going to have to sub him now? Even though I want him to stay on the pitch. Um, so, I mean, basically, players sort yourselves out and don't give the referee an opportunity. I be my advice. Peter wants to. Yeah, just just on Tommy Astu, I think it. I think I still think it's a bit weird that they don't have a VAR for second yellows. VAR would have overruled that. You can't have it for every yellow. Fair enough. If you get a, if you get a poor first yellow and then you commit a yellow card offence, that's your problem. You've you've got the yellow card already. You can't. You've had, you should react to whatever in that way. But if you have a second poor yellow, they should go to VAR. It's it's bizarre. It's exactly the same impact as a yeah. um as a as a red card, straight red card. Why can't they review it? You know, it's like yeah. And it, it's interesting. We were talking on the way back um on the, from the game. This these increased yellows is actually yet another boost for the big teams who have deeper squads who can afford to like put up with these one match bans, two match bans for players, whereas teams with smaller squads like us will struggle more because they've got suspensions, which is yeah, frustrating. Which can I also make one more point as well. So we we um obviously we're talking about like Wolves and, and about the number of chances they have. After West Ham, which I think will be a much tougher game anyway than recent times, with yeah. Ward Prowse especially and Ings, who always do well against us. Um, after that, in the next six league games, alongside our three, first three Europa League games, our next six league games include uh, United, Newcastle, United, Villa, Liverpool and Man City uh, in, the ne- in the next six league games. Alongside, like, I think, our first three European games probably in that time. The Wolves guy, City are after him, aren't they? The guy got sent off, so maybe he can get sent off again. (laughs) But that's a real, you know, that's going to be a really tough tough, run of games after, you know, I mean, we could really do it winning at the weekend because, especially with Europe as well, we may not get loads out of those, out of those six games. Well, Bournemouth is the one winnable one and then the rest are kind of, but even that comes after our first European game. So, you know, it could be tough in itself as well. I'm going to, I'm going to, Disagree with you there. Yes, they're all difficult games, but none of those teams are going to be thinking, "Oh, great, we've got Brighton at the weekend." Um, you know, we we you know, we played we played Newcastle about Newcastle at St James's at a bad time last year, but you know, in, in the first game we out we outplayed them. I thought in the pre-season friendly we we played far superior football. When we had the first choice players on the pitch, I don't think there's anything to fear there. Um, their midfield is stronger than ours, and that's that's the issue. But and, that, still, and that's the problem there. but I still, but I still think, you know, I, I just think we've got the ability to keep keep the ball against any anybody. And I just think, I just think we have a way of unlocking teams that the other teams don't have. Actually, I mean, it is. It's a high, it's it's a high risk, high reward strategy that we have, and that always gives you a chance, even against the best teams. I think Man United. I don't. Again, I don't see anything to be scared of. There, Liverpool. Mm. They're all right, but they're not Liverpool right now. Mm. They may well 
turn back into themselves at some point. But I just, you know, I'm just not frightened of these games. I thought, I thought the city, I thought the city away game last year. We were, we were absolutely terrific, and actually, we were pretty unlucky. We we're pretty unlucky in that game as regards officiating. I think for their, you know, their for their opening goal. And when, you know, when we pulled one back, we had them on the ropes. And again, you know, a little bit better finishing. We might have, we might have got something out of that game. Um, I, I'm looking forward to those games. I think they're really good. The sort of game I'm really not looking forward to is Villa. We just never beat them. Yeah. We just I think, don't beat them. Like and, Villa, and Villa play, play that high energy, that high energy style. Um, the, you know, we just find them difficult to, to play against. I think, yeah. in in the same way that I'm sure West Ham hate playing us. I, you know, I I kind of dislike playing Aston Villa for and Fulham uh, for similar reasons. Really, um, I, I think I, you know, that's the game I'm really not looking forward to. Uh, with City, I think obviously City will be expected to win, but I think we can. I, you know, we I think we can give them a game. I think with United, Liverpool. And Newcastle, you know, I think we'll get something out of some of those games. I don't think we, we're not going to lose them all. And, you know, yeah, I'm not sure we are, but we can't afford to give any of those teams 16 chances that we gave Wolves at the weekend. No, and that's, but... uh, that's the problem without the defensive midfielder. And this is where we were discussing in the in the interval about, like, we do need, to me, at least a couple of signings in the next week. Otherwise, we leave ourselves quite open to... To problems, in my view, and to lack of depth as well. Well, you know, if, if we if we don't, and I, you know, I agree. We, you know, but the problem with replacing someone like Caicedo is that Caicedo is, despite his hilarious comic, his hilariously comic debut at the weekend, which couldn't have gone any worse. Um, he's one of the best defensive midfielder players in the in the world, despite what people who don't know anything about football spout about on on. Uh, radio and what have you um he's really good we're not going to we're not going to get someone as good as Caicedo no we're not we're not we're just not going to get someone so we we are going to have to adapt deserve is going to have to figure out a strategy deploy players in certain ways and we you know we may end up having two players doing one of his jobs to the detriment of that but that's that's what you've got to do for now. We'll work it out. I think it's going to be a problem for us in the immediate future. I don't think it'll be a problem for us by the end of the season, regardless of whether we get somebody in or not. We will have come up with a solution. Yeah. Um, um, and- Mercy to Derby. I was going to say, Andy, was, um, there was a report, and you have to be careful with these translations from Italian interviews, but it was apparently reported as saying, this is probably the least how he normally likes to play football, which is an interesting comment, if true and correctly translated. But it is the most he's felt his soul or something like that. There was some kind of little bit of a sketchy translation. So his, his soul feels more with Brighton than it's been with anyone else. But the football he's playing is less like he normally does. I'd, I'd be really, I'd, not that we'd ever get the chance, but if we ever had him on here, I'd love, love to ask him, how we would like to play and why he's played the way he has done, if that's the case, so far with the Albion. And on the notion of adapting, I wonder to what radical degree he might feel he needs to adapt over time. Would he need to completely transform how we play? Um, maybe ch- 
things that will affect the attacking side of the of the pitch more. Who knows? It's a I, I, I've no idea what sort of credibility that interview, but yeah, what credence it has. But if that was the case, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? That he, he's played so many different types of football already. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Deserby is he's got great football, great football in great football intelligence, great yeah. football intelligence, and he and you know he's tra- he's transformed us in in. At an incredible speed, um, mm. you know, taking what taking you know what Potter instilled in us before, but he's he's just speeded it up like you know ten, ten tenfold, and um, he'll he'll think of something. You know, I mean, the people at the club now, you can just trust them. Bloom and Barber, we're in a if we're in a corner, he'll you know they'll sort it, they'll sort it. You just trust them. Deserby with the players, he'll 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 sort them out, and the and the and the players are with him. The players mm. are with. Him. There's an excitement about them. It's great to be top of the table for you know for for a week. If we you know if we can win on Saturday, then we'll we'll go into you know match day four top of the table as well. And even if it's short lived, you enjoy it. You enjoy this moment as it is now, and we keep. Pressing on, but I'm looking forward to those to those bigger games um, as much as I am the smaller ones because I just think those are those are where we get to challenge ourselves, and I just think we're we're now ready to take that challenge on in in a Absolutely. way way that we were not before. It's, uh-huh. it's really bloody. It's really bloody exciting. He's like, I know. Right? Yeah, we're going to get some answers. It really is, isn't it? I, I've never been more excited with that, and I, I, I relish the challenge. Yeah, I mean, it's not in the past we would have been reticent, we would have been trepidatious, thinking oh, it's going to be, you know, we could get lucky, but we'll probably lose, maybe lose heavily. Now we go into it with not with an arrogance, but with a swagger, where we really feel we could win and win handsomely in terms of the way we play. Or if we don't win, like the one all game with City, what a what an amazing game of football that was. And I'm still beaming from ear to ear just with that one, uh, just that one particular match that we're talking about there. And there's many more besides. And we're already looking like we're going to carve more out this season. I agree with Peter. We could do with strengthening defensively. Yeah, obviously, obviously, we could. There's, there's obvious weaknesses there, and we will get caught out by the better sides. And we probably will lose to bloody Villa again. That'd be bloody yeah. annoying. And the other Claren Blues, Burnley. We've got bogey team scenarios either way with yeah. Claren Blue teams, haven't we? We're West yeah. Ham's bogey team. But we're both, we, our bogey teams are the other two Farron Blues. It's a bit weird. But anyway, but I, I totally agree with all of what you just said there. I think that's, it's absolutely spot on. But I relish the way we play. I'm, I'd r- much rather play this kind of football. We've seen Spurs under Foster Cogdew and I, I like him as a guy and as a, as a coach. I like what I'm seeing and hearing and what I've heard about him before. And I think he'll do good things to Tottenham. It might take a bit of time to get going and the likes of Chelsea might might uh, not quite hit the heights because they don't have what you talked about earlier. And I like the expression that Kieran used earlier on in the pod, the hive mentality, the hive culture. That's that's what it's about. Really good team spirit. I think Postacoglu will get that at Spurs. They could be a challenge for us this season in terms of positions, and Villa probably will be. But I'm confident we can finish above the Chelsea's because no matter how much money they're spending, as the West Ham fans were singing on uh, on the weekend on Sunday, um, all that money and you're still fucking shit, yeah. which I thought was quite funny, um, but also quite accurate, at least at the time, anyway. Um, 
where we finish is it's completely up in the air. Who knows? But I love, I'm loving the the adventure. I'm loving it. I'm not going to say the journey because that's a cliche. But the adventure is great, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and in terms of transfers, there's a couple of uh, comings and goings. We've, uh, I think we've mentioned Noel Atom signing from Harvey Salzburg on the last pod. So he came in. He's obviously more like uh, the future. Like, uh, from Leipzig, was it? Sorry, yeah, Leipzig. And um, we've also got rid of a couple of players. So who's gone out of pizza? So we had um, Ayari's gone to Kov, hasn't he, for the season? Yeah. Uh, what else has happened? I can't remember. There's I'm not sure anything else has him, though. That's it. I don't know. That was it recently. Yeah. There's talk of uh, Alzate might go out. Um, maybe one yeah, I don't see that happening unless we get someone in. Same with Bonanotte. I can't believe. If there's any truth in this Enciso rumour, then I can't believe Bonanotte will be allowed out on loan. Yeah, well, that solves one problem. My wife, my good lady wife, said she's getting bombarded with all the news feeds. So even if she doesn't want to, she's hearing about Brighton all the time. <laughs> that's the that's how it's permeated. It's great. And she, and and she said something about that again. I'm getting oh, it's everywhere. And she said, by the way, I cannot differentiate Enciso and Gilmore. One of them must stop the Guinness hair dye. <laughs> yes, absolutely, hundred percent agree. What is it with footballers and this ridiculous? New we had Gascoigne, didn't we, first of all? And then it was Foden, and then it was... Um, this should have been the, the topic at the top of the pod. It should have been, should have been. It's the main because issue. It's the main... It, needs, it needs dealing with, and it needs dealing with yeah. now. Is that it why he's got the injury? Did someone deal with it that way? <laughs> so we don't have to get confused for now. I mean, A and C, Joe and Gilmore do look the same, because they're both diminutive. And the same stupid yeah. haircut. It is rubbish. And, um, I mean, it's not quite up there with the, with the leads... Oh, uh, God, no, yes. That was, they're they're yeah. ridiculous haircuts from a couple of years back. Cool. Mind you, my wife is Japanese, and it's not a case of people in glass houses throwing stones or pots and kettles, but the Japanese team at one point did go through this, didn't they, where virtually the entire team had dyed blonde hair like, highlights in their hair during one of the I World Cup. I the Romanian to be fair, in she, uh, France, she, France 98. Oh, yeah. Or was it Bulgaria? It wasn't Bulgaria. No, it was Romania, wasn't it? Romania, yeah. yeah. Um, to be fair, my wife has poo-pooed all of that as well as outrageous behaviour. So she she hated the Japan team too. She thinks it's ridiculous. Why are you dying hair blonde? It doesn't suit you. It doesn't look right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we're in the West Upper Andy, and we, we can't see that easily from up there, can we? If they're going to start having clashes on hairstyles, it's not fair. It's just not fair. Absolutely. Totally agree. And uh, it needs stamping out, and the, the FA should get involved. <laughs> Immediately, Definitely. this is this is issue number one. Yeah, and just reversing back to the women's F- uh, World Cup, um, we don't want the Spanish FA to get involved because they might start kissing people. Yeah. Uh, if anyone doesn't know, there's, I mean, the, the whole background to the Spain thing was was interesting because I only knew a marginal amount about it, but ultimately, what seems to have happened is that there was a falling out between a number of the Spanish players and the coach. They weren't happy with his processes. Apparently, they weren't seeing any data analysis, which is seems amazing for a, a high level team at that you know in that in the modern era but moreover they didn't like the way he was addressing people and um there seemed to be a lot of clashes a number of the players stepped out and said they're not going to play for him there was a reconciliation after the spanish fa backed the, the coach but tried to tried to pander to the players as well some of them came back some of them weren't invited back i think uh, from those that were willing to come back into the squad. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes. Then imagine the same coach has been backed. They've, they then come into this World Cup and they've 
through all the all the ages age groups, they've been very good. So they've always been a, a very strong team that hasn't fulfilled its potential. A little bit like Holland's men's teams every year. Um and and yet they managed to win the final and, and fair play to them, they deserved it. But this comes against a backdrop where most of the team don't respect or like the coach. And then you come to the celebrations and there's this strange body language going on between there's sort of muted celebrations and interactions, isn't there, between the players and the officials. Um, and then you've got the Spanish FA teach, uh, Rubiales, I think his name is, isn't it? It was hugging and grabbing the players, lifting them up and everything. And depending on the rela- nature of the relationship, that might be okay. But they kissed, I think it's the girl that missed the penalty, wasn't it? I've got my name. Is it Amona, Amosa? I think Amosa, kissed yeah. her on the lips. <laughs> and apparently this wasn't well received. And she's gone on to say that she hopes that I think, um, significant remedy will be uh, will we'll come from that, whatever that means, or some such translation. Well, I do believe and, that... And he Spanish, said he was called up the, in a moment. The you Spanish know. government are calling for his head as well. Yeah. I mean, Spain were terrific. Yeah. In Israel. They were they were excellent. They did really well to get, you know, very much. I mean, England and Spain both had to overcome significant hurdles. Yeah, injuries and absences from, from our case, wasn't it? And, and also uh, that. Red um, card, obviously. So, yeah, so both teams did brilliantly. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's, it's a strange one. And Rubiales, I mean, me, um, shrinking violet Megan Rapino <laughs> waded in, and fair play to her for doing so, saying that it's just tantamount to, you know, just a clear clear sexism and misogyny is still rife, according to her, within within the camp over there, and it's crazy. It's, it's a bit of a mess. I mean, fair play to the girls for for rising above all that getting the job done, and they're sticking up for themselves afterwards. But crazy stuff, isn't it? Really crazy. Speaking of um, girls being wronged, I mean, on, on a different level, the, the Mason Greenwood thing, we've got to touch on this. We've got to be careful what we say, obviously, here. To, to account for what happened, about 18 months ago, he was suspended by Man United. Initially, he got, got two weeks pay, but after that, he's been paid ever since, waiting on a court case. Uh, he was charged with um, attempted rape, aggravated I was assault with uh, I can't remember what the exact terminology was. Um, basically, sexual assault-related charges. Um, eventually, the case was dropped because the key witness, i.e. his girlfriend, uh, pulled out of it, and the CPS didn't think they would have enough grounds to genuinely get the case across the line. That's not to say they thought he was innocent, but just that they thought it wouldn't it wouldn't be doable in court. Uh, a period of time has now elapsed, and Man United have made vibes, and clearly through their corporate... Um, strands have, have kind of tried to build up a scenario where they could eventually reintegrate him. Clearly, there's been a U-turn. They were going to bring him back in. He's a, he's a key asset. He's a very, very talented and very young player. Therefore, a key asset. Still under contract for, I think, a couple of years. And um, they were going to try and reintegrate him in one, one form or other. Uh, due to a huge backlash, kill surprise, we all knew it, but they, they knew this was going to happen. Um, they've had, they've, I think the chief executive said something like, um, "We due, due to other issues, we've we, we've changed our views a little bit. We've come to a, a different conclusion, uh, which is that they've, they've come up against a huge backlog from journalists, the media in general, from women's groups, especially women's abuse groups, uh, and from ex-players and current players, both from the men's and the women's game. Imagine if you're a Man United player or a Man United women's team player, 
it's just unworkable, wasn't it? It was crazy that they were ever having that notion. But clearly, as a corporate entity that's just looking after the financial side of things, they were they were going to see, test the water, see if they could make it possible for him to come back in, even though half the team probably would want to play with him. Crazy stuff. Uh, what's your take on it all? Andy, to you first. Um, that handled <laughs> it disgracefully, in my opinion. Um, if he wasn't such a valuable asset to to the club, he would have been out the door straight away. Um, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I, you know, you know, for me, you know, in my opinion, you know, he should have, he should have been, he should have left the club immediately. Um, so, yeah, I just think, I just think, it, it, you know, it just, it just sends out an incredibly bad message. It reflects very poorly on Manchester United, um, and yeah, they, they, they've just handled it horrendously badly. From, from yeah, I mean, Peter, from from minute one, Peter. I mean, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure you go along with this. It's, I mean, I've, I've just to, just to mention actually, I've got a few Man U fans, friends from my from my sins. One of them who's been on the show actually, Peter. Um, he said, well, uh, this is before the decision was made, the U turn was made. He said, well, if and when he starts, I hope he breaks breaks his leg in the first game, which is, you know, I, I don't blame him for saying that. I'd say the same thing if he was. If, if Albion were ever, ever daring to think of a player of a similar ilk to, to what we, we think Mason Greenwood is. Um, but there's another Man U fan I spoke to, a guy I'm uh, a client of mine at work, and um, he was saying, well, you've got to go by the court. Uh, if the court haven't convicted him, then you have to give someone a chance, don't you? Because otherwise it could be unfair allegations. And you, you, haven't got a, you haven't got a guilty or no guilty verdict. And while I understand that argument in general... You can't, with, with the circumstances, A, you've got United and particularly Mason Greenwood or any other player are role models. There's a different dynamic going on, firstly. Secondly, and more importantly, the evidence that was published online, which is audio footage, if you can use the word footage in terms of audio, I don't know if that's right or not, audio footage, and you've got um, still images of the state of her face after what we were told was, you know, batterings and so on. When you've got that, it doesn't look great. It looks pretty damning. The only reason the case was thrown out seemed to be because key witnesses were not going to testify. Obviously, if she's not testifying about the, being a victim, if that is what she is, then the case is very weak straight away because then you think, well, why not? And if not, well, you know, you, you, can't, you can't have her not testify against the accused and expect the case to be won. That doesn't mean he's innocent. And I think because of that, the, the, the evidence seems to be overwhelming. And if it is, and you're in the public eye, and you're a role model, celebrity, whatever you want to call it, it's not the same as any other job, is it? And you, you get people who've been accused of rape, and the whole thing was apparently a fallacy made up by someone who's a bit crazy. And if those cases are genuine, that person's name has been published in the paper. They're not famous, and yet they lose their jobs. And yet here you've got a guy who is famous, his name is published in the paper, he doesn't lose his job. As you said, on that basis, people do lose their jobs. They could lose a lot of their liberties in terms of, you know, freedom, freedoms in terms of getting other jobs. Maybe their name is tarnished. And this, this is a guy who's already earned a lot of money, is very talented and ultimately and indirectly has squandered it by what's happened, obviously, because his Man United career is now over. But... um. 
it's to me it's it's not your typical case of just well the court hasn't proved him guilty it's almost a bit like the Burnley thing isn't it with um the race basis initial with bong and what's his name um Jay, Mar- uh, Jay Rodriguez, where, you know, the fans are going, well, no, he's been found not guilty. Like, no, well, no, he hasn't. He's been found, it's that, in that particular case, it was unproven. Here, it hasn't even gone to trial. It's not that they're saying he's innocent, that's why it's not gone to trial. They're saying, we don't think the case will get over the line due to key witness testimony. So he had to go. For me, it was obvious from the moment this scandal broke, regardless of what transpired afterwards and they're going to help him apparently and they've sort of implied they're not really sure if he's guilty okay they might think that but he's not going to get another he's not going to get another place is he without huge uproar because um, david goodwillie who was convicted i think of either rape or sexual assault in a, of another sort um tried i think it was three clubs he tried to go to and in each each case there's uh, an outcry. i don't right? think he was i think he wasn't convicted i think he was tried oh, in a the league, not in the league. Oh, it was a civil, was, civil court, wasn't it? That's thing. right. Yeah, we yeah, yeah, yeah. be careful with that. No, no, he that's fine. Yeah, actually, I'd rather have that clarified. Um, yeah, but, but in that case, answer... if if that's the case, then that's a lot more similar, actually, to yeah. the agreement scenario. I think in terms your... of it's not a criminal case. Just very quickly, because I need to go in a second. Um, I think in answer to your question, he will find a club somewhere far away from, probably still in Europe. Saudi Arabia. Somewhere well, with no morals about women. That even the Saudis won't touch him. I'm sure I read that even they don't want him in their league, yeah, which is quite interesting. So I wonder if he'll end up in some some Southern European league after a few months or whatever. He'll start heading over there and training over there. I mean, the simple fact is United have obviously lost from their point of view a very big asset, which is why they behave like this. They absolutely shouldn't have behaved like this. It was disgrace. And they were trying to imply the women's team should make decision or something like that as well. And there was all sorts of disgraceful behaviour from... Do you come to expect from Man U, to be honest? I mean, the club is just... It's just not particularly a nice way of behaving. But, yeah, I think he'll probably find a club in a few months that, yeah, sadly, that will give him quite a lot of money to play still because he probably can be again a very good player. But probably his career over here is certainly for the, in the, the medium term is over, which is a good thing. And yeah, it's, I'm glad he's, I'm glad he's gone from United and they've finally made the right decision. And I need to go on that note because I've got to eat yeah. and stuff. All right, cool. Peter. So we'll, we'll leave, leave, hey. leave you then. Thank you for joining us. And we'll, final words. We'll, thanks, Pete. Uh, we'll be, um, with Andy Bass. So we've got West Ham this weekend. We mentioned the bogey sides each way, the ones we don't like, the ones we do like. Um, in terms of we are their bogey side, or we have been. We did the double over them last season. Uh, we haven't lost to them in the 12 games we played in the Premier League. Um, is that going to continue? Uh, there are a more dangerous side, maybe, you could argue, in some ways. Um, as Peter said, Paul Prowse and Ings tend to do well against us, amongst others. Um, how's it going to go, do you think, this one at the weekend? You know what? It's a difficult... <laughs> Now, given given my enthusiasm for playing Newcastle, Liverpool, Man City, and Man United, this one a little bit of a little bit of trepidation because you do wonder how long can we keep can we keep just keep rolling them over because you know in all of these in all of these games that we've won we've we've won them quite comfortably and you know, West Ham have played you know quite badly in all of them as well yeah. uh, and. I, I think they're rebalancing the bogey side by having like getting James Wall Prowse in and put in a absolute <laughs> of a corner for their for their first goal against Chelsea. I was just yeah. thinking, I was just having nightmares 
watching that as much as I was enjoying <laughs> Chelsea's misfortune um, <laughs> being on the wrong end of it, I was just thinking, oh my God, if he does that against us, we're, we're... <laughs> I would, I would be stunned if we keep it, we keep a clean sheet on Saturday. But, yeah. but Full on again. I mean, <laughs> but I do, I do think, but you know, but I do think we'll probably score more goals than them. But I think this, I think this could be, I think this could be one where, yeah, I, I think keeping possession is key. Being disciplined is key. Um, yeah. It's, you know, it's certainly with Warprows in, we can't afford to give away penalties, uh, the, um, yeah, free kicks just outside free the edge. Yeah. They're basically penalties yeah. with him. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't know if Ings is going to start. Ings is probably not going to start, so it'll be a sub. Yeah. Or but I don't know. It's, it'll be tough. They, They've had a decent start. They were, probably should have beaten Bournemouth in the first game, um, and they got up. They got up for the game against Chelsea, which is yeah, which which they quite often do, um, and and saw and saw that one out. And you know, Chelsea played reasonably well in that game. So they did. They did sort of. They did put the work in to, you know, keep Chelsea out. Um, obviously, the penalty save. Was was crucial in that regard in keeping it a one-one, but but yeah, you know, I yeah, it's it's this is one of these games which almost feels too good to be true because really I think we should win the game. We're a better team, um, uh, and I think we need I think we need to get on it like in in every game we need to get on it early. I don't think we can you know. We, I don't think we can afford a slow start. I think we have to start to impose our game on on our opponent, and if we can do that, then then I then I fancy our chances more often than not because because that's where our strength that's that is definitely where our strength is now, and particularly with the with the Isaido hole in in the midfield. Yeah, we you know we have to we have to play around that at the moment. There's no getting there's no getting away from it. Uh, and we do, and we do that by retaining possession, by keep by keeping the pressure on, by getting that ball in the box. I, you know, their defense, I think, is still shaky. They and um, one of their better defenders got sent off on Sunday, so they're slightly weakened in that area. Bonner's probably going to come in, and I don't think he. I, you know, I'm not. I don't think he's that great. Um, well, the good, uh, good news is Carrier's back, isn't he? Uh, yeah, the, the German. <laughs> and with with the suspension. Involved, he's more likely to play, which is great. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, I, I don't know about predictions on scores. I'm, I'm sorely tempted to predict another four-one. I'm going to go three-one to us, but I do think it, it may rely on us doing maybe not quite so stunningly, but a version of that beginning of second half from last weekend. Get a couple of early goals in, and I think the game could pan out in our favour. I love it to be four-one because we've had two four-ones to start the season. I went to the Slough Town game. Against Worthing, look, look what their nicknames are—the Rebels. Oh, How oh. dare they stealing the, the Worthing nickname? Um, and I did co-coms with Peter Vale, who's the regular commentator there. Um, so I'm in the habit of watching four-one games. To be honest with you, now I'm getting very accustomed to it. But I do think I'm going to be slightly disappointed, and I think it might be a three-one. But I would take any kind of victory. Nine points to start this season, and the prob- probability of being top of the table if we do so. Uh, for a third week would be fantastic, wouldn't it? But what do you yeah. think? Are you thinking we edge it? 
Well, yeah, I think, yeah, I, you know, I think, I think we can win. I think we can win this game. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like two all. I think yeah. I, I can see I can see it being like you know a high scoring draw as well, but, yeah. but I just think you know we're we're in a slightly transitional phase now because we lost Caicedo and we've got to fill that hole somehow, either with a new player or utilizing the players we have in a different way or maybe bringing one of them up to speed to do it. Um, yeah. We might have the injury, you know, this injury to MC so that we currently. Do not know how serious it is. We need to kind of like figure out how what we're going to do about that. It probably means that João Pedro is going to play a lot. You know, João Pedro will just come back in. Um, but you know, so we you know we have challenges. We, we're still working things out. We're doing you know we we've taken advantage of the fixture list so far and got two wins that we were expecting to get um, without being at our best. And 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 that's a good thing. I just you know I'm not. No, no team's going to be at their best at the beginning of the season. You know, when you really need to be good is at the end. Um, you know, and you you take what you get whilst you're ramping up. And uh, yeah, so it's a massive, a massive opportunity to get our first ever three win win streak. We've never done it before. Again, so like the, the omens are quite bad because it's like. <laughs> Seriously, West Ham have got to be due something against us in the Premier League. Yeah. We've never yeah. won three Premier League games in a row. Um, yeah. We are we Let alone to start a season. We apparently yeah. appear to be stalling on every single deal that we're trying to <laughs> go into in the transfer league in the transfer market. So, so yeah, so there are you know there's sort of a few little, a few little spanners in 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 the spokes at the moment, but but yeah. But for, but team wise, like the way we're playing, you know, we should we should we should really looking at this as another opportunity, a good opportunity to get three more points. Um, and, you know, against the you know against the West Ham team that did win a European competition um, last year and that was last season, and that was absolutely fantastic for them, and it's it's brilliant, you know, to. To see, to see them do that and that fan base, you know, I mean, I'm obviously slightly biased because I used to be part of it, but um, but I was pleased. I was pleased for them mm. uh, for doing that, and but yeah, but it would it would it would be hilarious just to like beat them again, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I'll wait for like the you know the the, the sad emojis from my brother and my uncle <laughs> at full time. Yeah. Um, so and you know, I'd have to be nice about it. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that that is the scenario that plays out. But yeah, I mean, I you know, I just think we've got ourselves in this position now. We've got a great base. We're not perfect at the moment, but sort of go for, go for it. Just chuck that kitchen sink strike. With, you know, the iron is hot now. We should be striking it with with everything that we've got. Because we just don't know when we're going to get this opportunity again. So yeah, get let's get those three points, make it nine out of nine, be top of the league for two weeks in a row, and then we'll see where we go from there. Because it, it's yeah. just it is just thrilling at the moment, absolutely thrilling. Oh, and I just really is just <laughs> loving it so much. I, know, I can't get enough of it. It's great. It's superb. Well, I wish we were playing every day. I mean, I, it's just like. <laughs> it's like I can't wait to play a few games a week because you know that's how often <laughs> I want to watch us play. As a minimum, yeah. Yeah. And um 
I, I've got, speaking of which, I'll just very quick word on the draw to finish off in a minute. But um, in terms of West Ham, just yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, it's weird because I'm weirdly relaxed. Well, I'm I'm extremely relaxed and confident going into those games based on what's happened before, but also oddly trepidatious just to kick off, thinking this can't last forever. As you said, they're they're owed one at one point, aren't they? I just hope it just never happens for some <laughs> weird reason. I also hope we carry on winning four one for some weird yeah. reason. Yeah, I, I, mean, that's, I mean, that's the goal, is to win every game this year, this season, 4-1. 4-1, yeah. That's I mean, the title, you know, 100%, then. You know, yeah. let's, that. you know let's, let's set the bar high. <laughs> I don't want to win. I mean, if we, if we only win, like, you know, 2-1, I'm going to be asking, well, where were the other two goals? <laughs> you know, um, you, expect me, you expect me to cheer that, but get it. Only two. Come back to me with the other two goals. Well, we, we we could, depending on who we get, we could rip some new ones to the European sides as well. We've got the draw fast approaching, 1st of September, very quickly to round off the pod. Anybody in particular you fancy? Because, I mean, I like sporting, Sturm Graz, maybe a, anyone Belgian, German-related, that's a decent away day, that kind of thing. What are you hoping for? Um, I've, I've got a real hankering to go to, to Freiburg. I don't know if we're going to be in yeah. I don't know if, if I don't know if that relates well with the pods, but mm. it just looks like a really nice place to go, um, and a nice, yeah, I mean, a beautiful part of the world for a start. Um, yeah. But that club's got quite a nice culture to it as well. I would really like to play. I really, I'd really like to go to Freiburg. I Betis would be brilliant to go to Seville. Would no. be any, any excuse to go there would be would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, Sturm, yeah, Gratz would be great. Um, I'm, you know, I was, I was, hang, you know, thinking about the romance of a, 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 an eight-hour flight over to Kazakhstan or something now. But yes. I've only got four days holiday left, so I could do, <laughs> I, I, I could do two two-day trips. So maybe just somewhere a little bit more convenient to get to um, would be would would be awesome. Um, but yeah, whoever it is, we're going to be excited about it. Um, as particularly the games at the Amex will be will be amazing atmospheres and um, yeah I think we've got I I think we'll do quite well I think you know I, I expect I would be expecting us to get out of the group at the yeah. at, at the bare minimum and then and then push on and see what and see what we can do but yeah and on that note yeah we'll we'll, we'll see what happens with that we might be meeting up for. I might be down and bright for the draw, actually. We'll talk about that off-air in a moment. But for today, thank you very much, as always, Andy, for joining us. Thanks also, of course, to Peter, as usual, to Andy Knott, as recent usual, and also a very special thank you to Kieran Maguire for joining us earlier on in the podcast. Um, so, Andy, stand or fall? Up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.